A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. And, you know, it was literally just a matter of minutes after I uh, finished Monday's Cam and Company and uh, had the show uploading that we got the news about a federal judge in uh, Camden, New Jersey, granting a temporary restraining order. Uh, in a uh, challenge against several of the provisions, not all of the provisions, of uh, New Jersey's latest concealed carry laws. This is fantastic news for uh, gun owners and Second Amendment advocates, uh, as you can imagine. However, the uh, gun prohibitionists in New Jersey, none too happy about the decision, although they are trying to put their own uh, deceptive spin on things. New Jersey Governor uh, Phil Murphy issued a statement on Monday night saying, uh, quote, uh, the decision was a, an errant one, saying that the uh, administration worked to fully reinstate the law. Quote, while we are pleased that most of our concealed carry law remains in effect, the statement said, we are disappointed that a right-wing federal judge without any serious justification has chosen to invalidate common sense restrictions around the right to carry a firearm in certain public spaces. Virtually all public spaces. I mean, that's one of the provisions of uh, the New Jersey, well, I, I said, excuse me, let me, all private spaces. And yeah, the vast majority of publicly accessible places as well. Um, even private spaces like your own vehicle, uh, off limits to concealed carry, right? You're supposed to uh, unholster and unload your firearm before you get into your own car because under the current concealed carry laws, you're not allowed to carry concealed in your own private vehicle, much less public transportation. Right. There's nothing common sense about these laws, which is why uh, Judge Renee Marie Baum uh, found it so easy, I think, to grant the temporary restraining order that was requested by the uh, plaintiffs here. Uh, as for the uh, idea that um, there was no serious justification for this, actually, if you read Judge Bum's opinion, it's the state of New Jersey that failed to provide documentation or historic evidence that uh, the types of restrictions that they want to put in place have any sort of historical tradition or analog when it comes to uh, our nation's tradition of respecting the right to keep and bear arms. So I, I, Monday afternoon, a couple hours after the uh, decision came down, uh, I had a chance to speak with Alan Gottlieb, founder of the Second Amendment Foundation, executive vice president of the Second Amendment Foundation, and one of the, uh, the that organization, by the way, one of the parties uh, to this particular lawsuit. Wanted to get his reaction as well as uh, pick his brain about what comes next. Take a look and a listen. Alan, thank you so much for coming on the program today. It is so good talking to you, and congratulations on this uh, fantastic decision out of uh, U.S. District Court in Camden, New Jersey. It's a great victory. It's one of many uh, I expect to see this year based on seeds we planted and suits we filed last year. Absolutely. So uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you won on every count that you were asking today uh, in terms of this temporary restraining order, correct? Yeah, our temporary restraining order, we won on every count we asked the judge for. We tailored our complaint pretty narrowly up front because we wanted two things. We wanted to win on everything. And the second thing is we wanted a temporary restraining order issued quickly. So rather than file a kind of suit that would drag on in court for, for weeks or months, uh, we filed something to get an immediate victory on. And now we can go back and, and expand it. 
Yeah, I was going to say this doesn't mean that you're not challenging, uh, you know, the the currently unchallenged provisions, or that you think that all of these things that you're not challenging in this initial lawsuit are constitutional. Um, but you know, as Judge Bum talked about in her decision, with these particular sensitive places restrained, the plaintiffs in this case, these concealed carry holders, who we'll talk about a little bit uh, in, in just a minute, they can now generally go about their daily business and their daily routine the same way that they could before these laws were in place, correct? Exactly. Uh, and that's what's really important and why we had to move quickly, because people's rights were being totally denied. So all of these plaintiffs, it's important to note, are current concealed carry holders in New Jersey, right? So these are not individuals who are making hypothetical arguments that, look, once I get my license, my rights will be uh, restrained. These are people whose lives have changed, have been upended, because up until these new laws were in place, they could carry in all of these places. And only after the Supreme Court said, hey, you know what, <clears throat> this is a right of the people and not just a right of the, the few and far between – then all of a sudden, instead of restricting who can carry, it became about restricting where people can carry. Yeah, you know, and as an example, that made it worse than what the law was before Bruin uh, that got struck down. I mean, if you had a permit to carry in New Jersey, you could have a loaded firearm in your vehicle, in your car while you're you know, traveling. Uh, they made it so, OK, now you can have a permit. It's just not good anywhere. And, you, and we took rights away from you that you had before. You know, Cam, it's really kind of interesting. I expected the gun prohibitionists to come up with new laws, but I figured their new laws would be like a step lower than what they had that got struck down. Mm -hmm. Instead, they doubled down and they passed laws that were more restrictive than what the Supreme Court struck down. And that made no sense because, you know, with a 6-3 majority for gun rights right now on the court, on the high court, why are the gun prohibitionists being so stupid? You think they at least will try to buy their time and wait until maybe the makeup of the court changed? Sometimes, you know, we get lucky because the other side is not very smart. Yeah, not very smart. Or, I mean, listen, maybe deeply committed to the idea of disarming people and, and leaving them, you know, unable to protect and defend themselves. Uh, I mean, it could be stupidity, but I, it, it could be a combination of both, I suppose. But uh, either way, Judge Bum made clear that uh, these particular sensitive places are, are not likely to be uh, uh, upheld, uh, you know, when this case is finally decided. So, Let's go through some of these. We're talking about uh, libraries, right? Um, yeah, like libraries. And we've won on that in other states before where states have just uh, didn't pass a law, but libraries have said you can't have a gun in a library. We've sued over that. and We've won over that and said if you're licensed to carry concealed, you can definitely carry your firearm in a library. So there's there's been some previous case law that New Jersey ignored. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that that's that's true, you know, throughout uh, the judge's decision as she talks about the sparsity of, of historic analogs, first of all, for what the state's trying to do. But then also, you know, again, the the lack of comparable uh, uh, or, or the lack of interest, I guess, in looking at uh, what the previous case law has said, um, bans on uh, uh, concealed carrying bars and restaurants that serve alcohol. Now, this doesn't mean the city of New Jersey can't bar you from drinking while you're carrying, but. Uh, there is no real precedent in saying, hey, you as a lawful concealed carry holder can't go into a place where alcohol is being served. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure when the founding fathers visited, you know, Williamsburg and, and had meetings about the revolution and setting up our new country, when they went into a tavern, I'm sure they were armed. I, I'm sure that they were, too. Um, uh, let's see. Then uh, places of public entertainment. Um which I think when I was reading the transcript of the oral arguments, 
It sounds like one of the problems, and Judge Bump alluded to this uh, later in her opinion, too, is that some of the language is really vague, right? So what constitutes a place of public entertainment and how broadly could that be defined? Well, if you left it to New Jersey, they'd define it as the whole state. I mean, you know, let's be honest about it. New Jersey may have been the first state to to ratify the Bill of Rights, but it's obviously the last state to recognize it. (laughs) <laughs> there you go. Um, and then we get to a couple of big ones. New, New Jersey, like New York, had this de facto ban on uh, concealed carry on private property. And so basically you had to ask the property owner, hey, is, is concealed carry allowed here? Uh, or they had to post a sign saying concealed carry is allowed here. Or you'd be violating the law if you set foot on their property. Um, during oral arguments, again, Judge Bump raised this scenario where a UPS driver uh, goes up the driveway to a house only to be confronted by the homeowner who says, you're not allowed to be here because you've got a gun. Uh, would that individual be trespassing, even though they didn't know that that's what the homeowner's intent was? In the state of New Jersey, the assistant solicitor general said, yeah, absolutely, they'd be committing a crime. Uh, so I think Judge Bum's skepticism was there from the from the get-go on this particular provision, but I am really, really glad to see that uh, she's not going to allow the state of New Jersey to basically turn common sense on its head, right? If something is a a, a general right to carry in public, then the presumption should be that it's lawful and allowed. If you want to opt out as a property owner, you have that right, but but you need to declare that you're opting out rather than expecting the general public to understand that, uh, oh, no, they have to opt in, right, in order for you to carry. Yeah, you know, I go back, you know, Heller, McDonald, and Bruin, the gun prohibition lobby should realize three, three strikes and you're out. Uh, and they should be repealing laws that are unconstitutional, not passing new ones that are blatantly unconstitutional. Yeah, absolutely. That would apply to to the uh, ban, as you already talked about, on carrying in your private vehicle. And Alan, you know, all of this is based on the idea that the argument that supposedly this is going to benefit the public, this is going to make people safer. How does it make someone safer to have to unload their fire, unholster and unload their firearm every time they get into their vehicle? Uh, you know, place it into a locked container or a secured container within their vehicle or in the trunk. H- how does alerting everybody around them to the fact that they have a firearm make them any safer? Or conversely, I no longer have my fire because now I've locked it up. How does that make anybody safer, Alan? Well, obviously he doesn't. And, you know, again, this theory on that, if, if, if that could stand, why couldn't they say you have to have your gun locked and unloaded in your own home as well? If it's mm-hmm. your, your own car, your own home. I mean, New Jersey would like to go as far with this as they can. And pro, they're, you know, they're definitely gun prohibitionists. They'd like to make sure that there's nobody owns a firearm privately in the whole state of New Jersey. They've made that known for, for decades at this point, And we're not going to let them get away with it. So uh, we expect the state of New Jersey is going to appeal this temporary restraining order uh, if they follow the New York playbook. And so far, they they largely have. Um, eventually, the Third Circuit would be the uh, the next stopping point here. Uh, and, you know, this is a court that has traditionally been fairly hostile to the right to keep Marab's current makeup. I believe seven Republican appointed judges, six Democrat appointed judges. Um, so I think that there's I'd like to think that there's an opportunity that this case is actually going to get a fair hearing and a fair shake in the Third Circuit as well. Well, we'd like to hope so. But eventually, you know, what I would really like, Cam, is this case and other cases we filed it on other issues around the country to get to the back to the Supreme Court, because I'd like it to be the you know, law of the land where the Supreme Court flat out says these things are all infringements on people's individual right to keep their arms and cannot stand. So I'd, I'd like to see it settled once and for all at the highest level of our courts. And that's why we have similar suits like this filed in other circuits as well. 
you know, listen, I'll be honest with you. I think it's going to be a long time before the Supreme Court says, all right, that's it. We've 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 settled everything. Uh, and that's why we are in such a supercharged moment for the Second Amendment right now. It's why it's so important that we've got groups like Second Amendment Foundation, Farms Policy Coalition, your uh, state-based partners in this particular lawsuit and all around the country who are engaged in these fights because these these decisions will will matter for decades to come, right? It's not just about us. It's about what our what rights our kids are going to have, our grandkids are going to have. Um, and, and so, you know, to that end, look, as you you pointed out, the gun control advocates, they, they lost Teller, they lost McDonald, they've lost Bruin. I, I think they're going to lose this case as well and a lot of others this year. Oh, yeah. Do you think I, they will ever get to the point where they say, fine, we will concentrate on actual gun safety. Fine. We'll fund, you know, gun violence prevention groups that don't, but we won't push for new laws. We won't push for new infringements. We've learned our lesson. Do you think we ever get to that point or do we keep fighting until we get to the point where the Supreme Court says, that's it. We've settled every possible question that could come before us. Well, it's probably a combination of all of those. But again, the only way we're able to pursue this and get these victories if, if, with the general public and people sending and donating money to the Second Amendment Foundation so we can afford this litigation to defend our gun rights. And luckily, up to this point, we have been able to obtain the funding. But we have close to 50 lawsuits right now going on across the country. I mean, 50 lawsuits to fund at one time is something I never would have imagined. So we can use all the help we can get. And if any of your you know, listeners, watchers can go to saf.org and make a donation or join, we'd be most appreciative right now because obviously we're at the pinnacle of uh, the battle and on the front line of this battle. Yeah, and you know, just just a point on that because I don't want people to think that this is a matter of quantity over quality. Um, th this is more litigation than you know you might have expected. But you're not taking, you know, you're not throwing everything in the kitchen sink. You are you are closely looking at okay, where should we be challenging? What should we be challenging? And I think this case is a perfect example yes. of saying okay, rather than challenging every word of this new law, what do we start with first? Yes, we we try to be very strategic in in our in our legal actions and try try to move the football down the field as quickly as we can, but as safely as we can at the same time. Yeah, and that, again, that is critically important right now because these decisions, good and bad, will resonate and will have a lasting impact. Um, so, you know, on that note, Alan, what are some of the other cases that we should be looking for? Because again, there's so much going on and so many cases out there. What what are what are some decisions that uh, that you think, you know, maybe coming up in the next couple of weeks or a couple of cases we may see some uh, action on in the next couple of weeks? Well, it's hard to say in the next couple of weeks because the courts then slow things down a lot. But we've got litigation going on in Oregon uh, over their magazine ban and their new licensing requirements. That's moving moving and hopefully will continue to move fast. We've got 15 cases in California that are all all moving right now in one state alone. Uh, I guess there's two in Oregon, there's three in Washington, there's three or four in, in Illinois. We've got the Maryland assault weapons ban that we're challenging, moving up the ladder pretty quickly right now. Uh, that could happen sooner than sooner rather than later. We've got a Connecticut uh, suit against their assault weapons ban. We've got New York sensitive places, two different suits, and two different kinds of sensitive places challenges. We've got an assault so-called assault weapons ban suit in New York filed as well. Uh, we're, we're, we're all over the place, and of course we have a lot of federal litigation going on with the arm brace litigation uh, as well, which is now with new definitions of what ATF thinks they can do with arm braces. We're first in line with that because we've already filed that suit over the, the la their last attempt. The case has stayed pending new final rules. And I think we're going to have some motion on that coming up very quickly with some legal actions we're adding to the plate with that one rather quickly and, and maybe even later this week. 
All right. That is fantastic. And man, you just, you rattled that off. You know what's going on. Uh, Alan Gottlieb, uh, founder, executive vice president of the Second Amendment Foundation. Thank you as always for coming on the show. It is so good seeing you. And I will be doing this again very soon. I appreciate Alan joining us on the program. And uh, yeah, we're going to be following what's going on in New Jersey because uh, we do anticipate that this case, uh, well, the TRO we anticipate is going to get appealed up to the uh, Third Circuit Court of Appeals. Meanwhile, you've got the request for a preliminary injunction. And that's in just one lawsuit. There are multiple lawsuits that have been filed against the New Jersey laws. Uh, I, I will say that uh, one of the uh, Republicans who opposed uh, this legislation in the state house, uh, Senator Anthony Bucco, says that uh, he hopes that uh, the legislature will quote have to revisit one of the bad laws to fix the mess that they created. I don't think that's going to happen quite yet. Unfortunately, I wish that it would. But uh, when Senator Bucco says we knew the law was likely unconstitutional since it copied major portions of a New York law that's already suffered serious setbacks in federal court, despite all of our warnings, Governor Murphy and Trenton Democrats plowed ahead and enacted an obviously flawed proposal. Yeah, again, all of that's true, but that doesn't mean that they're going to go back and rewrite the law just because uh, Judge Baum has granted a temporary restraining order. I, I think that most of these lawmakers likely knew well, I think they were entirely aware. I think all of them were aware that these laws were going to get challenged in court. I think most of them knew that uh, a lot of these laws were not likely to stand. And yet they still proceeded in passing these laws because at the end of the day, they don't see your right to keep and bear arms as a civil right that is worth protecting. Not for you, not for your neighbor, maybe for their neighbor and maybe for themselves. But again, if only certain people get to exercise that right, then it's not a right at all, is it? So they're fine with the privilege of concealed carry, as long as it's limited only to a few favored individuals, right? But when it becomes a right of the people, as the Supreme Court has instructed New Jersey that it is, even in the Garden State, well, that's again when we see these uh, anti-gun politicians show their two colors, right? And all of a sudden now it's not about um, common sense legislation. Now it really is about turning a right into a privilege, something that uh, Judge Bum called out in her uh, opinion, granting that TRO on Monday. Now let's turn our attention to today's Armed citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. We'll start there. Not a true recidivist case because this woman has not been in trouble before, but I, I, I bring this up. Because in Oregon, you know, we just saw Measure 114 passed, right, with 50.7% of the vote. And the idea behind Measure 114, according to its backers, is that this would stop criminals from obtaining firearms. So when a criminal gets their hand on a gun through a straw purchase, we would expect that, in Oregon anyway, the criminal justice system is going to take that offense very seriously, right? Well, an Oregon woman has been sentenced for lying to a federal agent, after buying a gun that her boyfriend, a convicted felon, uh, is accused of using to kill two men. And as it turns out, the uh, criminal justice system uh, in Oregon didn't take this all that uh, seriously, unfortunately. Um, and this was a federal case. So this is not even state law. This is the Biden administration. This is the U.S. Attorney's Office. This is Merrick Garland's DOJ. According to uh, Oregon Live, a um, woman named Amber Ann Silvas ended up buying a, a gun for her then boyfriend back in March of 2020, uh, texting him as she was looking at pistols at a pawn shop. I asked him, how much do you want to spend? Uh, her boyfriend, Savino de Santiago, responded, uh, $200, asking later, is it nice? 
She sent him a picture of a, a green Taurus 9mm handgun. He says, uh, yeah, get the green one. So the next day, she goes back to the store. She buys the gun, buys ammunition. About 10 days later, shortly before 2 a.m., investigators say De Santiago shot and killed two people outside of the neighbor's home. Um, in an initial interview with the ATF, Silva's claimed that she bought the gun for herself and said that she was actually texting her daughter while she was at the pawn shop. So it turns out that was not the case. Uh, in about a half hour before the shooting, Silva's had actually recorded to Santiago, the father of her two youngest kids, uh, waking her and her kids up in the middle of the night while he was drunk. Video showed to Santiago imploring Silva's to buy him more beer. And at one point, he grabbed and loaded the Taurus pistol. Uh, she refused to buy him more beer that night. That's when uh, Santiago threatened to use the gun to shoot at the neighbors. Again, this is about a half hour or so before he's accused of actually doing that. Silva's, according to the video, told him not to put there, told him to put the gun down, told him not to shoot anybody, and threatened to call his mom before she then went back to bed. Again, a half hour later, shots rang out. Santiago is accused of the uh, shootings. Silva's ended up pleading guilty in federal court in Eugene, Oregon, to making a false statement to a government agency. Assistant U.S. Attorney Jeffrey Sweet said she knew he was prohibited from possessing a pistol. Saw him handle it, heard him talk about getting in a gunfight and shooting his neighbor's house, and other than protest, she did nothing. These are not lies about a minor administrative matter. And then Silva's attorney says, well, look, uh, my client was manipulated by DeSantiago. Uh, not, not her fault. And she should be given probation so she can continue to care for her kids. She can continue to work uh, at a, uh, a sandwich shop in uh, Roseburg, Oregon. Uh, he also argued that Silva's got the gun for her own protection, had a place in the safe, but that Santiago found the keys to the safe in her purse and then got a hold of the gun. Now, she pled guilty, so I don't know that that argument really uh, matters, but apparently something, and it might well have been the defense attorney's argument, did sway U.S. District Judge Ann Aiken, because rather than sentencing Silva's to prison, she instead gave her three years probation. Yeah. Urging Silva's to learn to put her children first and to not get entangled with men who take advantage of her. Good advice, but it doesn't absolve her of committing the straw purchase, right? The National Shooting Sports Foundation has this campaign, don't lie for the other guy. If you do, you could get 10 years in prison. But that depends on prosecutors and judges actually delivering that sentence. What type of message does it send when a straw purchaser buys a gun for a convicted felon who then allegedly turns around and uses that to commit a, a couple of shootings, what, a week and a half later, right? Murders, not just shootings, by the way, but shootings in which people die. And she walks away with probation for that crime. Again, when, when she's eligible. Now, under sentencing guidelines, a first offense, not eligible for a 10-year prison sentence, but she was eligible for a couple of years behind bars. And it says she's getting three years probation. So I don't want to hear the Biden administration talk about how they're cutting, you know, getting tough on gun crime. I don't want to hear Democrats in Oregon talk about, oh, look at these amazing gun control laws. When the laws that are on the books right now are not only not being fully enforced, but oftentimes they are administered with a slap on the wrist and a kiss on the cheek and a get out of here. And we hope we don't see you later. That is a huge problem. And before well, not before, rather than attacking legal gun owners, peaceable gun owners, Americans who are trying to exercise their Second Amendment rights within the confines of the law, rather than going after those folks, 
The administration should be going after violent criminals. Instead, again, looks like they and uh, federal judges far too willing to cut these individuals a break. Now, today's armed citizen story from New Jersey, believe it or not, not a case of a concealed carry holder, but an armed homeowner who fired a shot after a, a man broke into a home Apparently, in order to steal a car inside the garage. Yeah, I, that's bold. When you're not even uh, going after the cars on the street, but now you're trying to break into people's homes because you feel like it's a target-rich environment. This was uh, Roseland, New Jersey. It was about 3 o'clock Monday morning. The uh, mayor of Roseland, James Spango, says the suspect entered the home's mudroom after getting in through an unsecured garage window. Apparently, was looking for a key fob in order to steal a, a BMW that was parked in the resident's garage. The homeowner heard noises, grabbed his handgun, ended up firing a shot at the intruder, apparently missed, but the uh, suspect did jump out the same window that he came in through and then managed to uh, get away in a vehicle waiting outside. Apparently had a uh, driver waiting for him as well. Uh, The mayor says, uh, quote, don't only lock your car, take your key fob, take your garage door opener out of your car. Don't program those garage door openers in your car. Lock the actual door from your garage into your house. All good advice. But, you know, again, if somebody really wants to get inside your home, they can. I mean, it's just that simple, right? They can break a window. They can bust a lock. If they have the time and they have the motivation, odds are they can get in. What happens after they breach the sanctity of your home, however, is another question entirely. Will they be met with uh, unarmed and defenseless residents? Or will they be greeted by somebody who has the means and the motive to defend themselves and their family, as was the case in Roseland? According to authorities, the uh, homeowner's firearm legally owned. Authorities are not filing charges because they say he was acting in self-defense. So miracles can happen even in the anti-gun garden state of New Jersey. We'll keep our eyes on this story if there are any more uh, updates available. I don't know that there will be, but uh, if there are, we'll let you know about it. And finally today, in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing, a, a good Samaritan in Pittsfield, Massachusetts, who stumbled on a house fire on his way to church on Sunday morning. Yeah, never made it to the pews, but uh, he had a pretty good excuse. J.D. Bear. Uh, thought that running late to church was going to be the biggest issue on that uh, Sunday morning. But then as he was a couple blocks away, he noticed smoke coming out of the eaves of a uh, uh, basically a home that had been converted into apartments. Um, now, JDA Bear uh, is also EMC ter- uh, certified, uh, worked for the National Ski Patrol. He is currently uh, the chaplain for the Pittsfield Police Department. Uh, that is a... Uh, basically a part-time volunteer position. Uh, his main job is as the facilities director for the uh, URJ Eisner camp in uh, Great Barrington. So he does have a little bit of experience in, you know, not fighting fires, obviously, but uh, in first aid, things of that nature. So as he was driving by and he saw the smoke, he thought, I, I got to stop. He said, I called my fiance on video chat and said, this is a problem. I'm not going to make it to church. Then he called 911. Uh, and alerted them to what was going on. He then put on a uh, turnout coat, high visibility, went into the apartment building, started knocking on doors, and made sure everybody got out. Uh, The fire at that point had been contained in one room on the second floor of the building uh, and was able to be extinguished, uh, not only without loss of life, but without uh, total loss of property, thanks to the fact that uh, Bear again, was in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing. Uh, he says, um, 
you know, by helping people, I make the world a better place. And that was certainly the case this Sunday morning, something that uh, could have been a very serious, if not deadly incident. Uh, turns out to have been largely an uh, inconvenience for those residents because Mr. Bear was there to knock on those doors and to get the residents outside. So, J.D. Bear in uh, Massachusetts, Pittsfield, Massachusetts, we thank you for your very good deed. Now, that is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program, as always. Tomorrow, we're going to be talking about what's going on in Illinois with the ban on so-called assault weapons. Uh, likely to get through uh, to Governor J.B. Pritzker's desk today or tomorrow morning. They're trying to uh, ram it through in the lame duck session. We're going to uh, talk with an Illinois gun owner and a gun store owner about what has been going on in that state uh, with the <clears throat> rush to impose an unconstitutional gun ban. Hope you'll tune in for that. Also, hope you'll check out BarryAndArms.com throughout the day. We are constantly updating the website with all the information you need to know about your right to keep and bear arms. If you like what you see, I'd also encourage you to become a VIP member. All you have to do, go to bearingarms.com slash subscribe, use the promo code GUNRIGHTS, and you can get a significant savings on your VIP membership. Again, have a great rest of your Tuesday. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Until then, be well, be safe, and be free.